This is Jack's Corner, where I discuss issues about culture and society here in America. Okay, everyone, welcome back to Jack's Corner. I'm here with the Duchess. As I said, this is now episode five. I might have said episode four in the last podcast, but this is episode five, and Veronica, the Duchess, is back with me. And I'll tell you what, this week has been very interesting. And this is, we talk about a little bit of everything in this podcast, society and culture. And one of the things that were mentioned a lot in the media recently was that our government did not respond accordingly as they have responded to BLM marches, Black Lives Matter, and uh, other marches as they did to the steel you know, steal the vote, or, you know, steal the vote, uh, uh, march that just happened recently, all Trump supporters, but I've never seen anything like that happen, ever, where people go into the Capitol and start taking things that don't belong to them. And we lost five lives as well. And we lost five lives, one of which was a police officer. And what, how, you know, you're left with these questions like what, how, why, why? And we as Americans have to continue. We have to go on. And we know that this inauguration of Joe Biden has to take place. So, so it is, it's taking place January 20th. You know, um, I was watching NBC news, uh, meet the press and they were talking to, um, the guy, I can't remember his name. He's the um, white man with uh, glasses, kind of a scrunched face. He was chairman of something for Donald Trump. And um, he is now resigned. And I wish McConley, McConnell. McConnell? Did McConnell um, resign? I haven't seen the no, recent part of the news McConnell. yet. I can't recall this man's But I know name. that there's a lot of resignations that happened in terms of these events. Yes, so here's what was brought up in Meet the Press. Um, the man who was with Donald Trump's cabinet and that has resigned, there's now been five people that have resigned. Um, what he said was, he was making kind of like, he was an apologist saying, well, I never could have, none of us, the Republicans, we couldn't have seen that it was going to turn out like this, that um, it would escalate. We did not see any kind of indication that Trump would be um, losing it to this extent. And, I mean, they're actually scathing Trump at this point, which they should. And well, um, I I thought to myself, you and I, I could predict it. Views. Yeah, Very I much could so. predict it. This was totally part of his uh, card game. You know, Trump's. He wanted to stay in office longer than what was supposedly voted for. And he's a megalomaniac. There was a lot of issues because I I watched I watched the hearings on election fraud. And there were a lot of things that were brought up, especially issues between the people that were there counting the votes and the people that were there observing the vote count. There was a lot of issues that were brought up. Not to mention thousands of 
pre-printed ballots for Biden that just slipped in. Well, just a when, minute. That's when, when know, Trump was taking the lead. How much? And that's how you and I differ. Yes, because I don't. I don't just um, accept the uh, propaganda that's put out there. You know, I try to use more historical context and common sense. And personally, but there's a lot going on. Since when does big tech get involved with our elections? They've they've Honey, all in the one, time in, in one all of the Trump's time. social media accounts, his Twitter account, if I'm not mistaken, they've permanently banned him from Twitter. Yes, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And he's still president. Yes, and the Nancy Pelosi is going ahead and putting so forth, this is uh, all things that are happening that have never happened in our lifetime. Second impeachment, and it, uh, God forbid it ever happens you know, again. It's just been crazy. It has been. It's been a nightmare. It's been unbelievable. Just things happening left and right, and we didn't think these things would happen back when we were in high school. No, but what's astonishing? We had fair. For some reason, we had fair elections back then, and I'm all for voter ID. We need to be able to count one one vote for one person. Not a percentage of your vote goes into your elected official. It needs to be one man, one vote. Or one woman, one vote. One person, one vote. Yeah, but Enough then you said have to, there. Then you have and to we ask need voter yourself. ID. Why do we have dead people voting? Why? Okay, hold on. Hold your horses. You know, we, hold we, your we horses. Have... I am skeptical. I know that there's probably been a minuscule amount of that happening. But honestly, I think this is all just hype uh, to fuel the Trump saying that the election was fraudulent. I'm sorry, but um, I, I don't see him as an innocent or his compatriots. As innocent. Well, he uh, was patriotic, and I will give him that. And let's move on to the next presidency, and let's see what happens. Let's hope yes. we don't lean more towards a communist, socialist type It'll of never government. Happen. It's not going to happen. Well, we have a constitution soon. for that, and I think that people would speak their minds as they've tried to speak during the Trump uh, re reelection that didn't happen and it's just insane to me that this is happening i almost for a second thought we would have civil war and i'm glad that we didn't but what's it going to take for people to finally agree on decisions in these state these higher status of the courts in 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 politics and government what well, is it going to take i'd like to um interject here I just yesterday found a new documentary that came out with Noam Chomsky, who of course is um, a professor at MIT, and he's a brilliant uh, philosopher, political um, commentator. Uh, he is phenomenal. Anyway, the movie, the documentary is called Requiem for a Dream, the American Dream. And it talks about the whole system of the voting, it talks about uh, presidential campaigns, senatorial, and it also goes back um, when the Constitution was drawn up and how John Adams, um, because we have the notes of those arguments that, that happened before we had actually completed the uh, Declaration of Independence and the um, Bill of Rights, uh, 
and what was astonishing to me is that John Adams was your typical capitalist, but I mean, the people that were drafting up the Constitution were very wealthy people. And one of the points that they made out, and these are the actual minutes um, as they're drafting everything up, uh, they said, well, let's not lose sight. We don't want the people to get too much control because money and property should be what we protect. And they all agreed. And that's been going on since the beginning of the United States. And it's still going on now. Right now we have... But there's a shift. There's a shift, Veronica. Let's look at it here closely. And you've even brought this up. The rich keep getting richer. And one of our uh, business ventures, Museum of Americana, that's one of our quotes, put a cap on capitalism. And those are one of your quotes. Yes. And I definitely believe that. And I'm even contemplating about pushing for a legislative bill to be drawn. And I know that it probably won't fly, but the point is at least we got our two cents in there saying that we are rejecting a free capitalist society where what I mean by free is that the capitalists can go ahead and become billionaires and trillionaires. I think that's obscene. Well, let's I take think Elon Musk for an example. His capital worth keeps growing. Sure. And every, and he's every doing great wealthy things, person does. Great things for the environment, for people, for transportation, for technology. He's done some great things. So he's becoming, he's probably going to become a trillionaire in our lifetime. Yes, yes. Especially with SpaceX. Right, right. So uh, my point is well, this. How do you put a cap on somebody like him? Well, I think that there are enough people that could do what he's doing, and even better. Um, although, you know, we can admire Elon Musk's um, ventures. I I think that we're, under, we're not... Um, representing the other voices and great minds that exist in America that could be coming up with other formats um, and agendas of how to spend our money and invest it. It's not even our money. It really is their money. But anyway, so um, I'm going to go ahead and cut this off because I'm sure everyone else is embroiled in this whole hot mess uh, that's going on in Washington, D.C. Well, let so. me ask you this, the Duchess. Yes. The Duchess. You were a millionaire once. Yes, I was. And you did well. Yes. You and your husband did well. Yes. Now, I don't see your bracket, your income bracket as a millionaire at that period in your life as something... Or a way of taking advantage of our system because you were earning your money. Well, here's the problem with that, honey, is that the money that we were earning um, were invested in the oil business. So I had a um, the dark night of conscience, so to speak. And after Jake had passed, I'm looking at our stocks rising and falling. And I remember one particular day. I made over $65,000 in one transaction over a period of about 15 minutes. $65,000. That's obscene. Just because I'm doing um, a sell order and a buy order, it was ridiculous. Um, and I'm looking at all of our investments and where our money is coming from, our dividends, and it was coming from oil. 
then these companies wanted to they're large they're the largest companies we're making huge amounts of money from these companies and we're becoming beyond millionaires well that didn't sit well with me when Jake passed because my concern was I believe in ecology I believe in mother earth and I don't believe in raping her and exploiting her and I feel that the damage that we have done to this planet um, I have a crisis of conscience so make a long story short um, the other investment was water and it was uh, buying water rights in third world countries that wow anyway the locals uh, couldn't yeah. even use the water so I said to myself you know th this is not how I want to make money uh, I need to share what I have and so you know I did and I invested in Juliet and um, some other people her daughter yeah but at any rate, um, I don't have any regrets about not being a millionaire today. I really don't. Um, there's a lot, like my brother Dan said yesterday, he said he didn't want the responsibilities that go with having lots of money because he was there when I was going through all this and, um, and Jake was alive. So Dan was kept abreast on all the financial things that were happening and he could see how money was made and so forth and so on. He had the opportunity to get in on it and he chose not to. Um, and he's very happy now. And so is his family, which is, I'm very happy. So Good. yeah, I don't, Good. I don't feel like I need a million dollars to make me happy. That's great. But I, what getting back to the putting a cap on capitalism, what I'm thinking is maybe around a hundred million max. And once someone gets beyond a hundred million dollars, um, that's enough for any human being and enough power. We need to share that power, and we're not going to share it if we're allowing the situation to remain. So as it is now. we need to redistribute the wealth mm -hmm. in a way. Absolutely, and that could be done. You start yes. programs. You you implement new changes in taxation where the rich are starting to have to yes. pay tax again um yeah there there are different things that so again this would take legislation it has and, to and yeah. uh you know nobody's stepping up to the plate to do it veronica's contemplating about it so we'll see she's contemplating it yes but uh let's let's come back let's come back to uh uh veronica sharing her life stories Oh, okay. In prison, in prison, yeah, when she well, was in prison. And, and you helped she me. wrote Sister Me. Sister Me is a collaboration of stories from different episodes of her life while she was in prison. And I think it's brilliant. Thank you. She should turn this into a book. Yes. And she may. Well, it's written well, you for get to a, hear book, it first. a book manuscript. Yeah, I just have to, um, because it's a, you know, we're talking about 800 pages of text type text and I don't want to get redundant so I've got to edit everything down and make it into something that's going to be more palatable to pal palatable for the consumer anyway what I wanted to say is um, I have no problem reading more of sister me but I would invite you Jackie because of my throat um, for you to also read some of the manuscript okay yes okay 
And on that, let's go ahead and have Jackie begin this. Um, so Jackie, we're going to be, <clears throat> excuse me, Sister Me. And here is Jackie reading an excerpt. Okay. Okay, this is where I'm going to begin the story. It's easy to break, to relinquish your own inner sense of unity with mankind. The experience of being reduced to a number, entitled to no real respect from others, but that what you can earn by so many challenges among other prisoners like yourself. The new world in which you need, in which you seek, Validation is bound to the prison population. Only in their eyes are you, if lucky, somebody. To the other world, the world of authority and free world citizens, you are nothing, but not dead. Dead, but not dead. Feared and despised. Year upon year of losses. Year upon year of defeats and imprisonment. One begins seeing society at large as a cold, compassionless men monster, an unthinkable, greed-driven beast that seeks to destroy all and any who stand in the way of its pleasure. Prison is society's garbage disposal. It crushes and mutilates what it processes. Only it processes living beings, not refuse. No wonder so many fail upon release. No wonder so many leave the walls and barbed wire bitter, broken, and intent on revenge and a blind revenge, a misguided revenge. But man is only humane after all, human after all. So much is the criminal like his free world brother that each sacrifices what he really wants to get a useless and harmful revenge. If society comprises of people who can cheer on executions of murderers, why should a criminal processed in a hellish system not equally enraged and cheer himself on to the execution of others he perceives as murderers and torturers of himself? To break is an easy thing to do, especially for a woman. She is more inclined to give up and go back into drug addiction and submissive servitude of, first, the authority figures here and then, later, her quote-unquote man on the street. In this prison, I watched some of even the strongest break, informing on friends, reduced to serving the system they abhor. Why? Why do they lack the courage to have honor, to have the ethics to oppose betrayals? I don't know. I don't understand this weakness. I only see it happen. Such humanness. Such failure. Don't mistake the motive of informing. It is this. A profit made by the sacrifice of trust. The betrayal of the confidence doesn't serve humanity or protect the innocent. No. Rather, it is simply the exposure of someone's weakness so as to put her further under the heel of authorities. That's what buys the informant her special privileges. 
I purchased matches for my illegal cigarette smoking when I was in isolation. I bought them from 78340, who then went to Punishment Unit Supervisor Wilson and told him I had matches. This went on and on, various paraphernalia and periodically seized for my cell each time because 78340 had informed on me. For me... The few puffs of cigarettes or extra pair of pajamas temporarily keeping me warm was worth the extra punishment. I knew she would turn me in, but I was determined to survive as best I could until the bulls arrived. Okay, I'm going to have Veronica read next. <coughs> Excuse me. Here <coughs> comes the Duchess. <clears throat> One day, Wilson pulled me into his office and told me I should get smart and inform on the informant who I had bought the matches and cigarettes from. Just admit it was 78340 I had bought the contraband from. He knew and I knew she stole the merchandise from the supply room and sold it to others like me. So why not snitch on the snitch? I had been in the hole two winters or so at this time, but I still couldn't play the game. Still can't. Still won't. What for? To look each day into the faces of women already defeated, pained, heartbroken, and know that I added to their misery? No. Never. I am not here to perform the dirty work of the state. I am not here to reduce myself to that. I lose my youth, my motherhood, my freedom, and career opportunities each day. This is part of my payment to society and to my victim. But to lose my morality and the courage to take responsibility for my own acts, that I will not lose. Snitching here is the way to purchase a deal with the cops. By demanding that our society seems to disclaim the humanity of the criminal. We not only ostracize the offender, but we neatly cut the connection, their connection to us by classifying them as antisocial or sociopathic. We imply by our media coverage of them that they are in a subhuman category and that when they are prisoners, we treat them accordingly. We think of them as predators, disguised as the humans they are not. Not really, not truly human. After all, would we, the free world inhabitants, humane, human and righteous, commit a crime? No, well, yes, but our crimes don't really count. Infidelity, a little tax evasion, not obeying speeding laws, you know, nothing big. So the criminal is different, we presume, a creature without conscience. So it's perfectly all right to let the system try to use them corruptly. How could a criminal mind be bothered by informing? Of course, it is known to us that having an unauthorized set of pajamas to try to keep warm is an offense against the law of prison. But the authorities must have a good reason to have a rule about that. Anyway, better not to inquire. Just let them get on with it. It must be plenty tough having to deal with those terrible people. 
criminals. They're different. Can't really be rehabilitated, so why waste money or sympathy trying? Help them? No way. They were bad. That's how they got there. So if it's tough on them, they asked for it. They started out from just where we did. Well, roughly. Sure, you say, I had a good family life, went to college, and my friends helped a little finding this job. But if they didn't have those breaks, well, what could be expected? Look at them and the suffering of their family, parents, children. So what about them? Who are they anyway? We don't have any of them in our neighborhood. Probably they're from some kind of bad stock. What we decent people need is protection at whatever cost. So if the prison system leans on people to inform, that's their problem. What we demand is strict justice. Too many times I've heard this refrain while knowing the reality that refutes these ideas. When do we begin to dare to think? In prison, there really isn't a relaxed moment even for those who don't play the informing game. Arbitrariness spills over onto them as well. The only difference is that informants roll with the punches and roll and roll and roll until all trace of person seems to be worn off. Nothing left but an imitation, standard issue, all-purpose being. But humanity is real and individual. Humanity keeps trying to reassert itself. That makes for stress. Anyway, sometimes the prisoner manages to hide it all till she gets out into the free world. Then the stresses come out. And the quiet ones, the submissive ones, the people who have been taught by the system to be so low and passive, suddenly become active. And then they come back, return to prison. Stress wins again. All that informing, all that betrayal of others and self was for nothing. Some of the long-termers finally don't seek liberty anymore. Some never have really held themselves to the standard of thinking about what they do. Some always take their opinions and cues from others. Others keep their opinions to themselves and try to appear passive. That passive approach damages their self-esteem fatally. Claiming independence enough to be authentic, self, uh, an authentic self-respecting person is to claim the necessary authority over yourself so that you can be responsible for what you choose to do. No one can have a sense of responsibility if others make her decisions for her, whether that happens because they prevent her from deciding or she avoids deciding. There's no way around it. If you want a responsible adult, you have to let that person be independent enough to make her own choices. In prison, a person who behaves in such an adult manner is suspect. Genuine concerns for security aside, control is the obsession of the administration. An independence of spirit frightens them, no matter how responsibly it is exercised. Once those administrators decide to move, it is dismaying, easy, dismayingly easy to bring down a prisoner. All that's required is to infract them for everything they do, in part 
It's practically impossible to live in a prison without doing something infractable. So prisoners and guards work out a rough understanding of which acts will count as a cause for a write-up and which won't. Then, when it's deemed necessary to bring someone down, suddenly for that person the understanding is void. What's allowed for other prisoners is now not permissible for the one singled out. Then the infractions pile up. And when that's not enough, manufactured evidence can always be arranged under abuse of authority. Producing witnesses, evidence, or whatever is necessary to develop seemingly plausible infractions is done. Then usually it's only a question of time until the prisoner breaks and joins the mass of adult infants the system tries to make us into. It's not just a matter of behavior as the pop psych types try to make it out to be. It's a matter of identity. Identity is finally that personal sense of being a unique person. In our culture, it is the only stable basis for a sense of self-respect. It may be cultural, political, or whatever, but for our kind of people, it says, I am. That little idea which free world people take so much for granted is what is so often set in conflict in those who commit crimes. The free world idea is that a person who won't commit crimes is responsible, and one who will commit crimes is irresponsible. What isn't understood is that irresponsibles, far from being authentically irresponsible, have a conflict of creating a self that must exist in permanent crises economically, educationally, culturally, and socially. The self is cast in a hostile world where survival dictates that behavior and choice is apparently or really impossible. The prisoner is placed in a situation where any attempt to have a balanced identity, which goes that vital step beyond mere considerations of survival reactions, is viewed as too dangerous by society and the responsible administrators. Guaranteed, however, is that no matter how terrible their punishment, the prisoners will be out in society again. And then someone or something else will be pushing these people. That's, what criminals that's why criminals repeat. Survival reactionism is the norm, not the choice. The conditioning in prison removes real choice. Survival prisons create crime, not by putting criminals together to learn new tricks from each other, but by reinforcing the survival reactionist mentality, which is really finally an acceptance of inferiority. It says, I am less than. There is no real opportunity for me, but on the streets. I can never be anything but what I am now. I will never be considered equal to them. I need drugs to handle my inner turbulence. They make me feel less threatened. And then, they're the only pleasure life ever could or will offer me. Administration takes what it thinks is the safe course. Crush any sign of independence or leadership. Surely it will be used negatively. They fear what they take to be a potential for organized negative power by the prisoners. 
rarely distinguishing positive efforts at healthy self-power. They don't notice that the various injustices they perpetrate to prevent any independence lead so often to an outburst, a riot, or other disturbance. Those who question penal authority or insist on thinking and choosing individually for themselves, no matter how harmless or even beneficial their actual life, the results from that attitude may be, are some want to be crushed. Many times prisoners resist the call to try to be a responsible adult and acquiesce to the prison's arbitrary dictation of their lives down to the last detail. By this relinquishing of their adult power, their individuality is annihilated and the survival reaction syndrome is deepened. Leaders are lonely people much of the time, and the prison does its best to see to it that no one under its control becomes any kind of leader at all. Leader types vary in any setting. In prison, some break away from the bland uniformity of prisoners by surrendering to their base human desires, such as flight from pain via drugs or sex. Others seek dominance or greed and engage in purposeless rebel-rousing to discharge their anger and anxiety. This, without any serious goal, the prisoner talk calls instigating, and petty or small, instigating is a monster. And then others, a precious few, try to appeal to the best qualities of each individual and to make the ordinary prisoner think, use their mind. The latter form of leadership manifests itself as activism. And of all the leaderships, it is political. This is the one that really frightens prison administration, for it emphasizes equality and seeks to make prisoners adults rather than mere insurrectionists, rebels without a cause. Serious activism is always undermined, and the movement it tries to lead are so often brought down by the failure of most prisoners to recognize their own worth. They respond to power, deferring to the apparent power of the prison, and refusing to take responsibility for their own lives. So the activists try to take a stand to improve the real lives of all the prisoners, and the mass refuse and the mass refuse to stand with them. The leaders are left to stand alone. They are like free world people too frightened. The others are like free world people too frightened to be an individual, and they accept any token gesture of appeasement without ever asking what conditions are necessary for a real life as a responsible moral agent. The weakest take advantage of the situation by becoming informants, for which they get, at best, time cuts, charges dismissed, at least extra liberties and privileges, etc. Others held in their repressive arms of fear don't like their passivity, but they're, they've been beat down so long they haven't the inner metal to resist their oppressions. So are activists martyrs, standing there all by themselves when the shit flies? No, but yes, prisoner cohesion comes in waves. 
When the prison has been repressive long enough, the discontent builds a short-lived unity of outrage. The history of penal institutions supports a theory of a cyclical process, often referred to as the pendulum swinging from one extreme to another. The two opposing ends are punishment on the left and rehabilitation on the right. When the punishment trend becomes bad enough, it ignites unity among the formerly apathetic prisoners. Then there are the assaults and riots which set the pendulum swinging back in the other direction. Then when rehabilitation, prison style, fails to produce real moral individuals and some of those supposedly rehabilitated individuals get out, commit further crimes. The public outrage begins and sets the pendulum swinging back towards simple punishment. That's only a popular theory and has been challenged by others who say that the real forces are political and completely outside the prison. On the one side are those who think that if they only punish the criminal savagely enough, eventually the criminal will be good. On the other side are the rulings of the courts, including the Supreme Court, which set limits as to what can be done in the name of punishment. What is readily apparent is that whatever the process, it is a slow one. Over the eight years I've lived in prison, the changes are evident, but all in one direction, not to the benefit of the prisoner or her becoming a responsible citizen. The 80s must surely be marked as a time of losses for Washington prisoners. While there were some few successes against the most flagrant abuses, they didn't amount to much more than court recognition that prison officials had violated some prisoners' rights and such violations should cease. Mostly they haven't. So it is at this, these periods of greatest unrest that the activist does not stand so alone. As for their martyrdom, I think most would be insulted at the suggestion as they are not destroying themselves in a fight for a hopeless cause, but rather in fighting against that kind of oppression. They find a real self. However, I will say that activists do know and acknowledge to one another that martyrdom is a real part of activism in prison. We don't seek it. We just can't avoid it. To stand up for something is always risky. In prison, that amounts to a certainty that no matter just how, how just the cause, they will exact reprisals. Is it worth it? It can't be measured in those terms of wins and losses, profits and pains. The struggle toward a more humane environment and world is a thing you just set out to do. It isn't a measured effort with costs and central focus. Peace. Mother. <coughs> Excuse me. I understand that the majority of my associates were in no position to be associated with me in any way. For such important people, scandal was to be avoided at all costs. Recognizing that I could only maintain future ties by keeping a complete distance and silence in the short run, I didn't seek their support. By the time I arrived at WCCW, 
I was devoid of all past except my crime. Those with whom I had spent so much of my life and time after the smuggling episode were not were not banished from my considerations. I no longer had an identity by way of community relations. It was like going to sleep and waking to discover you were completely alone in a world, in a new world, with new customs and rules. It was to be the beginning of starting over, learn the basics. There was a new language, verbal and physical, to be mastered. Resocialization to a foreign environment, not just of the prison, but more directly the world of the prisoners. All my previous attitudes and devices for survival were deadly dangerous. In prison, classism is lethal. There are nuances in prison language that may take years to learn. If you're lucky, you'll be taught them more quickly because you openly and honestly seek your rightful position in the community and that engenders respect. Those nuances are more emotive than free world properly spoken English. Prison talk is more robust. Accent, tone, octave, pause, etc. affect the hearer more powerfully than the actual word or expression itself. Coupled with body posture, stylized gesture, and speed of motion, it is at best poetry in action. I've been enthralled with the honesty of this language. It captures the true spirit of life itself, totally expending every human means to making a precise communication. The impact is so strongly that the whole message can be grasped within seconds. Nothing left in doubt to be chewed over later. A master of it can lead a whole room full of strangers, strangers to the exact position remarkable. So what? So, prison is a place of talk, not silence, and the talk is richer and means more than if it were done in the class-bound way we learn in the free world. The posture and tactically accepted deceptions that are part of the free world speech can't get you anywhere behind bars. Another comforting aspect, another comforting aspect of long-term incarceration is bred in the hard-bought education one gets in discerning quality of character. After years of living in a closed environment and interacting with a limited number of people within a limited context, you can note the impossible reactions a particular individual can make to a move. Seeing what they then choose to do allows you to gauge, gauge who they really are. Like a game of chess with the inmates as pawns and the criminal justice system as prison administration moving them on the board of the prison. Do the pawns get sacrificed or do they find ways to outwit the opponent? I speculated that some of those big players in the system know the game purposely create conflicts among the pawns. Just to enslave... Just to, excuse me, just to live in the boredom of the game. It eases the boredom of administrative life to put the pawns into jeopardy, like tossing a fly in a spider's web to see how long the fly will struggle and how quickly the spider can devour its prey. An expensive way of getting one's kick, I'd say, but then it's the pawns who pay. 
And all this goes one behind goes on behind locked doors, behind formidable walls and barbed wire fences, all paid for by the unknowing taxpayers. Yes, the real players in the game enjoy dealing in life and death tragedy and farce, madness and sorrow. They get screen American dollars for it all. Of course, old officials don't want to leave the system. No, the work is the country in the country dishes out power so indiscriminately. Power over human lives it is even insured from the victim's recourse. What prisoner can ever hope to recover damages incurred during a period of incarceration? No matter how flagrant the violation of even the most basic rights was, are all convicted persons merely incorrigibles, liars, incorrigibles, liars, and deviants. The real intercourse between prison officials, where they decide what to do before putting it on the appearance of a hearing or formally correct decision, is kept private, and the real methods used to control the prison are hidden and complicated. No common citizen could be expected to understand or form a judgment about what goes on. Given that there is this need for total security over so many dangerous humans. Therefore, administrative methods are a, speci- a specialty. And given the dangerous nature of the prison population, one which the prudent citizens won't inquire into, if something happens inside a prison, that would constitute a rank abuse in free society. One has to understand that the complexity of dealing with such dangerous people makes things really different from what they might appear. That's the administration line. Bullshit. That's all a smokescreen to conceal the very basic truth that prisons are arenas which perpetuate the victimization of prisoners who are really mostly victims themselves. They have been caught breaking a social rule or law, but they are basically like anyone else. All this nonsense about sociopathic trends and deviant behavior is horse manure. Few, very few of the individuals I've met who get sent up are remarkably different from free world society. In prison, there are dangerous and sick people who need to be housed securely for the safety of society. But does this justify keeping them inhumanely on the excuse that they are evil? I don't think so. It could be that since the majority of the prisoners come from a lower socioeconomic group, that the voting public and our social servants lean toward maintaining an us-and-them situation, taking a dangerous step further by utilizing marvelously literate tools to disquinish Distinguish them from us, and so the us-them philosophy all the more. Scores of books are ground out of the literature and propaganda centers of higher learning, offering theories and statistics which help to alienate the common citizen from the convicted felon. Nazis did it for their purposes, White colonialists did it against Indians and blacks. Once you can separate a group of persons from common humanity, you can create a double standard, 
one for all of us, another for them. Once that differentiation is accomplished, humanitarianism doesn't apply to them anymore, for they are not fully human. The oppressed will never get humane treatment because it is always argued that they deserve to be oppressed. Therefore, society has justified the necessity of a penal system that robs them of their right to humane treatment. Our society speaks collectively through the acts committed to oppress. This is particularly marked in the way that those singled out are denied not only a full measure of humanity, but are even denied recognition of having the capacity to grow or change into the acceptable humanity perceived by quote-unquote us. They are quote-unquote them, criminals, as branded by the judgment of the courts. But crime isn't human nature, it's mostly simple economics. 90% of all crimes are property offenses. As unemployment rises, crime rates increase. The Justice Bureau of Statistics offers some valid food for thought in its periodic survey papers available to the public. There are a lot of hard facts, but they are void of the blood and suffering that real people who lived in the realities of those statistics had to endure. Poverty, abuse, addiction, and so on. Prison is a big business, a big industry. It employs many... Despite that, I feared the escape would alien others from me from my shadow of weakness. Yes, it probably would be viewed as personal weakness, but they wouldn't know that. They couldn't know what kind of disaster the, pro- the prison administration had been preparing for me. Well, thank you for joining us back on episode four going into five we will see you next sunday thank you for joining us duchess well thank you for having me i appreciate um your listeners support by uh listening you know i hope that it wasn't too boring and uh thank you for joining us and thank you for having me as a guest jackie and yes of course of course definitely we will see you next episode there's so much to learn 23 years in prison Like I said before, the majority of us know somebody who's been in prison or in and out of prison or in jail in our lifetime. So this is serious considering that our government imprisons most people as more than any other government throughout the world. We incarcerate the most. So this is the land of the free, yet we incarcerate the most. We will see you on episode six. Thank you and... Have a good one. Take care. Thank you for joining us. See you next Sunday. God bless you and peace out. Bye.